Welcome to the Wealth Building Made Simple podcast with Philip Washington, Jr. Today's episode is brought to you by StonehillWealthManagement.com. Today, Philip talks about understanding the market. Philip Washington, Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right, we are back with another episode of Wealth Building Made Simple, brought to you by StonehillWealthManagement.com and WealthBuildingMadeSimple.us, which is our newsletter for sharing information about our thoughts in the market, about the market in detail. Um, uh, Also, got a new sweatshirt. Shout out to... My LB, for those of you that don't know what an LB is, it's a line brother, my fraternity brother. We came through the journey together. Uh, so he made he just made it for me. Thought it was thought it was nice and, and, and very thoughtful for my LB. Shout out to Joshua Glenn. Alrighty. Today we are talking about understanding the market. And and the market is I've been experimenting with ways to talk about the market that makes it make more sense because it's a way that I've thought about it internally in my head, but was not able to, I'm just learning how to put it into words that, that I think can resonate with people. And so I've tested it out and, you know, I've had some clients who love the, the breakdown. So I'm sharing it with the, with the podcast audience, but you, you want to think about the market as more of a collective consciousness because that technically is what it is. It's a, it's a collective consciousness of all the participants that are participating in the market, right? So, yeah, like a, a culture is a collective mindset. So it's a culture. It's a mindset. And it represents all the mindsets that are participating in the market, meaning buying and selling things. Because the market are the stocks, bonds, assets um, uh, of, of companies uh, and protocols now in, in the market and the value of these companies and protocols reflect the belief in what those assets are doing, right? And so once you understand it, then you go, okay, um, you break the generations up. I break them up into winter, summer, spring, and fall, right? So winter are the economic ideas or economic assets of the generation that is leaving the economy, meaning like they're buying less. So think of that as like retirees. So for for now it's baby boomers in general. They're they're retiring and they are and when you retire in general, like you spend you spend less in general. You don't have to. And each generation has their own, you know, uh generations within a generation. So I don't I'm making overgeneralizations, but in general, boomers spend less. And so that's the winter economy. So that's why you see a lot of the companies that were built and got large around that generation begin to uh, they may still grow if if they if they don't reinvent themselves then they move into a different uh 
different season, but if they don't, if if they do reinvent themselves, if they don't reinvent themselves, then they begin to like stagnate, and inflation begins to eat up the returns uh, of those companies. Um, but as those companies become uh, lose relevance, springtime is either the company reinventing itself or a new form of that company. Um, coming from the newer generations bringing new ideas, right? So that's that's going to be like, in today's marketplace, Gen Z, right? Gen Z is the new participants coming to the marketplace. Um, and, and so they're bringing new ideas. And again, I'm overgeneralizing, right? There there are boomers that, uh, that have ideas that are new, that are coming online, right? Uh, millennials, Gen Z, I'm oversimplifying it for purposes of explanation. But um, but the but the new ideas, the newest ideas, are springtime. Summertime are the ideas that have been that that are no, they're still relatively new. So think of them like millennials, right? We are now. I'm about to be forty this year, so millennials are no longer the hardhead twenty year olds, right? Like we're, you know, we are maturing, right? So so summertime are like the ideas that the millennials brought in, and and just like what I just said. Those ideas are maturing, right? So, so you could think of those ideas specifically, like uh, Facebook, like um, Bitcoin, uh, like um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you uh, iPhones, Apple, right? E- everything is on the, you know, all the apps or every, everything. Like those ideas are mature. Netflix, right? Those companies are now the eight hundred pound gorillas. And they are in their power, you know what I mean? Challenging the status quo. Fall, think of fall like um, that's Gen X in general. So that's going to be like Jeff Bezos, Amazon, right? The first generation of internet uh, type type companies. Um, Google, um, those type of uh, companies. And, and again, some companies are cross-generational like Microsoft, Apple, right? Because they continue to reinvent themselves. So again, this right here is less of a specific narrow window that one thing goes into one generation and more of sort of a messy artistic explanation of like the process, right? But but in general, winter is companies that are no longer relevant or losing their relevance significantly in the marketplace and inflation eats those companies up, right? Springtime are the new ideas that have lots of run room to grow, Summer are the maturing um, ideas and fall of ideas that are like ripe, right? That are just ripe. They're still making lot. They're making lots of money, uh, and this is these companies are when you know debt begins to get loaded up on these companies um, to juice up the returns and and expand their advantage. Um, and you know over time that debt ends up transitioning them to the winner and has them get gets eaten up by inflation. But when you think about the companies in that aspect, it helps you say, all right, you know, this generation brought these companies, this generation brought these companies, this generation brought these companies. And it's, and it's also one of the reasons why, um, you know, I have been accused at times of maybe being overly confident in my thoughts and opinions because, right, somebody might say, how do you think you know more than the Fed chair? Or how do you think you know more than Jamie Dimon, right, who's the president of the largest bank? And I was like, well, because knowledge is always changing. Facts are always changing. Principles don't change, right? Like, we're always going to have finance. 
We're always going to have marketing, right? We're always going to sell things, right? We're always going to make things. But like the way that we do it is going to change based on the generation. So, so it's not that difficult to me for me to see things that they don't, right? If you want to call that knowledge, because like when you, like when you're the largest incumbent, like when you are the incumbent and you've made money being the incumbent, it's tough to see your own blind spots. You know what I mean? Because like you sit on top of the throne. So, you know what I mean? Like t- most always, most, I don't, I don't, I'm, you can never say all, but when you watch all these movies about human history, kings and things like the king all almost has always has to be overthrown, right? They don't just step down and say, "Here, I'm going to hand over my kingdom to the next generation." No, it's they always got to be overthrown. It doesn't have to be that way, right? Um, but it's very difficult once you become like the top, the king of the hill, to continue to reinvent yourself. The best, right? I aspire to be like what I call Steve, right? Continuing to reinvent myself. Right, no matter what. So I aspire to do that, but I'm just talking about human nature in general is terrible at change, right? Um, because they've they have for generations beat down the incumbents and stayed on top of the hill. So, um, so it's not difficult to have the vision beyond those that are at the top because, like, they fell in love with their own creations, and so. Um, And that's the opportunity, right? The opportunity is if you can maintain an open mind as you grow in wisdom, right? That is like the sweet spot of making money. Um, And and one of the things that the market provides are signals in prices, right? Even, and I've done lots of writing and speaking about the central managers of the economy, central banks, government officials, those people um, that are doing the best they can, what they know distorting the natural market price by messing with interest rates or quantitative easing and things like that, right? But that's also baked into the human experience, right? So like humans don't operate on logic. We operate on emotions, right? And we operate on fear, greed, all those kind of, you know, love, appreciation. But like we're, we don't operate on logic. And so when you understand the market is a, is the same as a human mind, which is why it's volatile, Right, you bake that into it, and you go, cool. These, these, even though they're manipulating prices in different areas, the prices are still valuable sources of information because it, it allows you to flow with the market. And here's what I mean by price being a signal. Uh, price let when things are too expensive, for most people, then it lets you know that humans are going to find an alternative source of things to spend their money on, right? We, we do it with food, right? When, when you know, uh, I'm looking at it like crawfish right now. Craw- like, uh, let me backtrack. Lobster used to be a, a common thing to eat for the poor, right, in the black community. Um, uh, really probably, I, I'm saying for the black community because I know that's something that the black community used to eat. I don't, I don't know about other communities. They probably did. But it was a poor, it was a delicacy for the poor. Now it's super expensive, Right. Same thing is happening with crawfish now at nine ninety nine a pound crawfish. It's crazy, right? But like, um, as as things get expensive, then money flows to the lower expensive things and push those prices up, right? Over time, so it's a it's a it's a cycling source of things, right? Right now, the uh, cost of the way we do energy is becoming unsustainable, so we're moving towards more cleaner renewable energy, right? L- 
uh, places to live, right? When 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 things get too when places get too expensive to live, right? We start moving to places that are less expensive, right? Like further out rural areas, right? Or what's happening right now, since office is going down in value, and there's plenty of office and lots of space, you are starting to see and going to see more of office buildings in, in the city turning into multifamily, which helps with the housing situation. So humans, like, we're great at looking at price and coming up with solutions. And you, you you know, the people in the middle that think we need to manage the economy and try to figure it out, like, they can do what they're going to do, but they're just providing resistance, right? Because the market's going to figure it out or just naturally, right? Watch this. I mean, I in my neighborhood, I can just put out something, something broke or whatever that I don't want anymore, and I put it out and before I come back and drop it off my kids, it's gone because a dude comes by with a truck, takes away our invaluables, and I'm sure they make it in something valuable and sell it and make money, right? So that that's just encoded in our DNA. If you, again, if you want to go to biology, like that's done all throughout biology of us taking waste and turning it into valuable energy, right? So like that's just part of the system that we're made a fun of, made a part of, and so you use price as a signal. And so, for example. Bond rates being 4% right now when they used to be 15%. So they used to have great value. and They were 15% and inflation was dropping, right? Um, right now they're 4% and inflation is rising and it's already was 9% printed last. So it's already underwater. So that, that lets you know as an investor, I probably don't want to buy bonds because they're very expensive, right? Like you use inflation as your price signal not you don't use a nominal number because four percent doesn't mean anything out of context because four percent is great if inflation is negative or less than four percent right but four percent is terrible if inflation is above four percent and right now it's like double right um so same thing with you know how I i was talking with clients that own businesses and different properties and i was like hey these projects you're investing in in your business and your property you should probably factor in what inflation is going to be over the next decade. And I had some business owners that be like, cool, we're going to sell this at a loss. We're going to sell this part of the business, right? And they were making rational decisions um, that they normally would have not made because they were looking at it going, oh, we can make money. I was like, yeah, but if you don't make money above the expected inflation, um, then you're going to be at a loss, right? And so those are things you want to think about as a business owner and an invest- investor use price uh, as a as a signal, and I mean, again, price relative to inflation, and then what what also is you know what's I'm also often asked um, when people talk about um, the season. I go, so if you understand the seasons, then you look at the the spring summer assets uh, economies, and you go, man, these are underpriced. And somebody might go, but they're priced that they're priced that you know crazy multiples. I was like, well. Multiples are are just reflecting that value in a currency, right? But if the currency is outdated, right, the U.S. dollar-based system under its current form is like beyond winter. Like it's it's in like it's in, it's, it's winter in Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, and so so since we since we are currently uh, pricing assets in a system that is melting, you know, getting less valuable because of the money printing and the money manipulation, then you got to kind of like remove the way you used to value companies because that's no longer 
uh, you know, deal. You got to you can do like a complicated conversion, which is what I do to figure out the true value. But just you can just intuitively say, all right, um, if I discount the currency because it's a old, uh, uh, a a a older. Well, here's actually a simple way to do it. If it's not simple, but this is how you do it. If you say, I'm not gonna go down a path. That's uh, gonna that's gonna be. A, I gotta take ten minutes to explain that. But just look at it and say, let me just classify them as spring and summer. And if these assets are in spring and summer and they're going to mature, and then whatever currency we use a decade from now, it's probably going to be the dollar too. I'm don't I don't I'm a believer in dollar because the other 159 currencies are not as great as the dollar based economy. So it's going to be um, the thing that we trade in. It just I don't believe it's going to be a great store of value, right? So so the way that you value things from a valuation standpoint has to reflect this changing dollar-based system. Um, um, but you're using you're using price as a signal, but not but that's separate from traditional valuations. You you are saying um, uh, Tesla is, you know, Tesla, I need to bring this point home in a way that's that's simplified. If you look at Tesla or Apple or these trillion dollar companies um, as expensive in a silo, right? That's not the price signal you want to look at, um, because again, that's distorted by the money that we're pricing it in. And so, in that aspect, you want to look at price as a signal um, relative to the value it's going to bring a decade from now, right? And and the and when and when you do that, and there's no simple way for me to explain how to do that. You have to you have to somehow quantify the amount of usage in the future relative to the usage of the way things are done today, right? So Tesla being uh, uh, transportation done by artificial intelligence and just know that that's a super big market size, right? And then you go Bitcoin as a um, uh, collateral that people use when they're trading digital money right? That's going to be the foundation of the new financial system. That's a big opportunity, right? Or you look at Bitcoin miners as ways to help with the energy transition by being able to have developers go into communities uh, that people normally wouldn't go into because they couldn't make the energy investment and the Bitcoin miners can make the energy investment and buy up excess energy while it gets built out. And So you look at the housing crisis and all the people that can't afford houses, and you look at the opportunity to go to cheaper places that Bitcoin miners can help provide solutions for, and not even counting the fact that they're creating Bitcoin, right? And you look, and that's a huge opportunity, right? And I can go through all the different things and go, huge opportunity. Then you go, then you go, all right, cool. Like these, the people that have the money are overvaluing the current ways that we do things and undervaluing the new ways that are solving big problems that we have. And so you go, price says these things that are worth a trillion dollars or big numbers right now are undervalued because the world is moving here, right? And like, and so they're relatively cheap, right? It, it would be the equivalent of trying to say a house today worth $400,000 is a lot relative, you know, like, like, it is a lot, but if we're talking about 1970s prices, it's stupid, right? It's crazy. Like, you you have to do a 
conversion in currency from now to then, meaning like a middle-class person today is living in a $400,000 house. A middle-class person in 1970 was living in like a fraction of the size of the house. It'd be the same size house, but it's 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 a similar position in society, right? Um, so the house seems like it's worth a whole lot more, but it's because like the currency is 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 worth a whole lot less than it was now, right? So you, so the currency matters a whole lot more than what market participants can appreciate. So I hope that helps. Until next week, y'all enjoy yourself. Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.